Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Encouraging you to live as an ambassador of God's kingdom in the world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Well, good morning. So the breaking news overnight is that China passed a much anticipated but also greatly feared national security law allowing authorities to crack down on dissent in Hong Kong. Uh, Certainly, you're going to be hearing more about that um, in, in the news today. And so let me just remind you of the many, many, many conversations that we have had about Communist China's efforts to communize Hong Kong, the communization of Hong Kong, I think, is the way David Aikman frequently uh, phrases it. So we've been talking about um, the the protests in Hong Kong for a long period of time. We have also anticipated um, that short of some kind of dramatic international intervention, which has not happened, that this day would come, that we would arrive at the day when... Uh, the Communist Party in China would become unwilling to any longer um, tolerate pro-democracy protesters and pro-democracy movements. And so uh, we need to be praying ardently, not only for Christians in Hong Kong, uh, where there are many, we have talked with some of them here on the program, um, but we need to be praying ardently for a fresh wind of God's spirit to move in a way that the the people, I mean, what's going to eventually happen, if it's going to happen, it will eventually happen internally, that the people in China will recognize that they, um, they are worthy of a government that does not oppress them and, um, and suppress others. And so that's going to need to be our prayer. Uh, Let us turn to the Word of God today before we turn, though, uh, more fully to the concerns of the world in which we live. So I I lift up Psalm 91 today. Where in the Word are you today? I am in Psalm 91. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. So where are you dwelling today? And are you finding rest uh, in in that reality, in that place? I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely he will save you from the fowler snare and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his feathers and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and your rampart. You will not fear the terror of night nor the arrow that flies by day nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness nor the plague that destroys at midday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand. But it will not come near you. You will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. If you say, the Lord is my refuge, and you make the Most High your dwelling, no harm will overtake you, no disaster will come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you you will not strike your foot against a stone. Now, 
that is obviously uh, the passage of Scripture um, that we also hear referenced in the temptation of Christ when he spends uh, 40 days fasting in the wilderness and then um, the devil comes to meet him there and tempt him. Picking back up in Psalm 91 at verse 13, you will tread on the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion and the serpent. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him for he acknowledges my name. He will call on me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him with long life. I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Now, just to be clear, um, there will be trouble in this life. Verse 15 makes it clear. God actually says, I will be with him in trouble. And so this is not about escaping all of the trouble of the world. There is deadly pestilence. There are um, enemies on all sides. There is a need to take refuge. Okay. But where do you take your refuge? I take my refuge in the Most High God. He is my dwelling. He is my rock. He is my refuge. He is my salvation. Uh, And in him, I have no fear. My first conversation partner this morning is Mark Caleb Smith. He and I are going to turn our attention to decisions of the Supreme Court of the United States that were issued yesterday. These are exciting times. We'll be right back. Joining me now, Mark Caleb Smith, um, Cedarville University. You guys can follow him uh, on Twitter. We're going to talk today about Supreme Court rulings that were issued yesterday. Mark, welcome back. Hey, Carmen. How are you doing today? I am. I am well. It is well with my soul. I hope it is well with your soul as well. It is. It's been good. Good start to the summer. Uh, good chance to get a break and looking forward to the 4th of July. And mm. uh, yeah, things are going well. We should um, we should spend a moment reflecting on the Fourth of July in just a minute, but let's um let's start with the rulings issued uh, yesterday by the Supreme Court of the United States. Let's start with the um, the case out of Louisiana in relationship to you could I suppose you could view this uh, two different ways: abortion rights, or um, you could view this as a, a significant pro life. Um, I, I, it's a pro-life ruling. It's a well. It's a it's a ruling making it harder um, for those who are pro-life maybe to advocate for their position. So tell us what happened. So the Louisiana law at issue here was very similar to a recent law in Texas. So just a few years old, the court ruled in a Texas situation that is almost identical. Uh, but in both cases, the law really tries to require abortion providers uh, to have admitting privileges at a hospital within 30 miles of where the abortion is being performed. Um, and so back in 2016, the court struck down the Texas law. Uh, the Louisiana law is very, very similar. The court hears the issue again because of the conflict between the district court and the circuit court. And, of course, a lot of people are sort of sitting there thinking, okay, President Trump's had a chance to nominate people to the court. Maybe this will be a swing, and you'll start to see some rollback of, of pro-choice sorts of rulings uh, but that does not happen here. The court uh, strikes down Louis- the Louisiana law. Uh, probably the biggest surprise for people is that Chief Justice Roberts um, joined uh, the so-called liberal wing of the court uh, to uphold the law. Um, and that's creating all sorts of, of conflict and discussion 
about Roberts and the role of the court and what exactly is going on here, as well, of course, as all the political ramifications of this uh, for President Trump and the support of President Trump. And so it's a it gets into a bit of a complicated legal and political mess. So John Roberts dissented in the opinion um, where this precedent was created. And one of the things that occurs to me, uh, I think he's like genuinely um, he's genuinely given over to the reality that when we're in a when we're in a group and we agree together that whatever the decision is, when we walk out of that room, it is the decision of all of us, even if we didn't vote for it initially. And so when it became the decision of the court, he adopted it as his position. That that is. Am I wrong in viewing it that way? I think with uh, the chief justice, there's a lot going on here. And of course, we don't know. We don't know all of what he's thinking because his opinion doesn't really get into the motivations of what's going on. I mean, as you said, he dissented in the whole women's health case from 2016 and still in this opinion says he thinks that case was wrongly decided. So he doesn't change that. But he says that this whole women's health case is the law of the land. Uh, This case is so similar to that one that I'm going to vote to uphold the precedent uh, from that 2016 case, even though he disagrees with it. Now, I think I think what the chief justice is doing here in part is trying to protect the Supreme Court, which might sound odd. But I think as chief justice, he feels a special role to maintain what he might call the legitimacy of the court. Um, And in his mind, if the court's making a decision that creates a great deal of cultural strife or creates a great number of waves that emanate from the decision, then people might challenge the court and the legitimacy of the court. And he might even say, you know, in a particularly tumultuous political time, uh, do we really want to hand down a decision that potentially starts to roll back, uh, you know, nearly 50 years of abortion jurisprudence in the middle of a pandemic, in the middle of all of this unrest that's happening? Uh, Maybe this isn't the best time for the court to try to bite off a major change like that. So I think the chief justice is having multiple motivations at work here. Okay, so the work continues in terms of those of us who want to be advocating for the precious nature uh, and the vulnerable nature of every human life, particularly the pre-born. And so this conversation is certainly going to continue in the future. Um, We have to take a very brief break. Mark, when we come back, um, there was another decision issued by the court yesterday that I think because the um, the Louisiana abortion law being overturned was so high profile for those of us who are pro-life. Lots of people may have missed um, the Consumer Financial Bureau decision. So we're going to turn to that in just a moment. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Rejoining my conversation now with Dr. Mark Caleb Smith from Cedarville University. Mark, tell us what happened in the other, um, I mean, less high profile, but no less significant decision by the Supreme Court of the United States in relationship to the Consumer Financial Bureau. This sounds kind of wonky. Yeah, uh, kind of wonky is probably a pretty good description for it. Um, it. It's a case that involves really whether or not the president can remove the director of the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau And I'm sure when people hear just those words come out of my mouth, uh, the instinct is probably to roll your eyes and go, oh, boy, this can't be interesting at all. I get that. But what this is really about is the president's constitutional power to either uh, to fire people within the executive branch. And Congress gives the president 
it creates a lot of these independent agencies, so-called, and sometimes they try to protect those agency heads from presidential decision-making, like a firing decision. I mean, if, if this organization is supposed to be somewhat detached from the political process, detached from Congress, detached from the president, and has a unique role to fill, then Congress might try to protect them in this fashion. The president has wanted to remove the head of the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau um, and has been frustrated to some degree uh, by the law that's at work here. And so the Supreme Court had to decide what, what really is the extent of the president's power to remove people. Uh, in the case yesterday, the court said the president can indeed remove this director um, at his own will. You know, it doesn't have to be for cause. It doesn't have to be for malfeasance or inefficiency. The president can simply choose to remove this person. Uh, which is a, a significant moment for the president. You know, this is really one of the first cases we've seen uh, since the, the really the 1920s, 1930s, where the court has sort of given the president this kind of power over independent agencies. Now, the court doesn't address other agencies, so it doesn't mean the president can just all of a sudden today start firing everyone uh, in the executive branch that he doesn't like. Uh, but it does open the door for maybe an increase in the president's power to shape the federal government maybe more to his liking uh, than that of Congress. Okay, and then let's talk about um, uh, cases that the Supreme Court rejected, because this is a part of, I think, what sometimes surprises um, surprises people across the country. There are opportunities for the court to take up particular cases um, that have been, you know, that have that people are trying to elevate to that level. But the court does not take even a very small percentage of those cases up. So talk with us about cases that the Supreme Court rejected. Yeah, I mean, the court, I think you're exactly right. I think most people misunderstand the court and how it functions. Uh, The Supreme Court is one of the few courts in the country that can completely control its own schedule. And so they can choose to hear cases or not hear cases, except for in very limited cases, um, and so if four of the nine justices agree to hear a case, then that case will come before the court and they will reach a decision. If they don't get four of the nine that agree to hear a case, then that case basically just goes away and whatever the previous decision was by lower court stands. Um, and so it's interesting to kind of read the tea leaves a little bit and think about what's interesting to the court or not interesting to the court or provocative to the court or not. Um, recently, they've decided not to hear cases uh, that are challenging whether or not we can see a resumption of the death penalty uh, from at the hands of the federal government. Uh, they're dealing with environmental issues they're choosing not to hear about. Um, and so, you know, the court uh, making choices here, but I, I would suggest that people be careful. You know, you don't want to read too much into this. Uh, I think sometimes people can say, well, you know, the court's just not interested in this issue at all. Therefore, it's kind of a dead issue. That's not always the case. I mean, the court sometimes decides not to hear a very particular case for a very particular reason. Maybe they don't like the facts of that case. Maybe it doesn't present the issue in a way they really want to see the issue come forward in the future. And so and at the same time, the court can only hear so many cases. You know, as you said, only a small percentage get heard. At some point, they just have to decide this is all we can handle for right now. Uh, we're going to hold everything else over either for later or we're going to just choose to let this issue stand for now. Okay, it is Fourth of July week. Um, yes. Why don't you just wax eloquent about the it, it extraordinary independence in which we live? Yeah, I mean, I I remember growing up. Um, really, for me, the Fourth of July 
I was probably my favorite holiday or second favorite holiday uh, in comparison to Christmas. And just the, the celebration of the country, the celebration of our freedom always resonated with me. Uh, and, and it still does. You know, I always enjoy all the trappings of the 4th of July, uh, whether it's fireworks, picnics, whatever it may be. Uh, we have much to celebrate. You know, our country is not perfect. Uh, our country wasn't founded by perfect people. Um, and there are things we've done that we could all challenge. But, you know, I think you have to be a pretty um, a, a, almost a miserable person in some ways not to recognize the great good that has flowed from the founding of our country as well. I mean, America has been a force for good and a force for freedom throughout much of its history. And we should celebrate that, you know, not only for ourselves, but for the other people around the world uh, that we've often sacrificed on behalf of increasing their freedom as well. You know, we've had the chance to grow up and live in a remarkable society. Um, and it really did start for all practical purposes on uh, July 4th, 1776, when they made this decision uh, to create a new land. Um, and, you know, in this day and age, maybe in our in our strife uh, moment, uh, maybe we will actually rally at least for a, a day and commemorate this goodness. But, you know, when you look at what's going on in the country right now, maybe this is the argument we're actually having. You know, these statues and monuments that we're arguing about, many of them are reflective of the founding generation itself. Um, and so right now is a, an interesting time. Uh, we're having a long, an argument even about the nature of, of, of the nation, and that's going to continue. Mark Caleb Smith, um, as always. Oh, no, we still have a couple of minutes. I, we, I don't have to let you go yet. So um, as we uh, – it's the middle of the summer.Es and um, I'm, I guess I'm wondering from from the perspective of uh, a college professor um, and then also you know a person who is in a community where you know kids and parents are thinking about how to navigate going back to school yep. um, one of the things that's leading on axios this morning is the like the looming child care crisis um, people really don't know what they're going to do if if we are all back at work, but our kids are not back at school or they're only back at school part time, like how how are how are your friends and how are you guys navigating that? Well, I mean, I've been spending a lot of time uh, working through the implications for the university uh, and what we're going to do. You know, we're bringing students back in the fall. That's our choice. Uh, and we're going to move forward with that plan unless something radical takes place. Uh, that's not going to be the case in every state. It's not going to be the case in every institution. It isn't going to be the case in public schools across the country necessarily. Um, and, you know, I, I think that the government needs to be very careful with how it approaches this. Uh, if you're going to put people at the point where they're making this decision about their kids' education and working with their teachers from a virtual environment on the one hand versus their employability on the other – it's going to put many people in a bind. And I don't know yet whether the government's fully grappled with that kind of bind that we're looking at. Uh, you know, if we're going to talk about more economic bailouts, so to speak, uh, those bailouts maybe should be directed toward people having to make this really difficult choice. You know, I think teachers have done a great job. You know, my kids were, went through the virtual process in the spring. Uh, on the whole, I think it went really well for them. The teachers bent over backwards to make it work well. But as a, as a professor, and as a teacher, uh, it just isn't the same as having kids in class. You're not getting the same kind of instruction. And all of us want to see that instruction continue in the fall. And we're going to work toward that direction. Um, and, you know, I hope that people understand 
that we're going to do our best to make it happen. But we can't control what's taking place in the country at the moment. You know, we can't control the spikes that are happening. I'm worried we're going to see a rollback uh, and, a, and a, an additional shutdown, perhaps. But I hope not. But uh, yeah, this thing is not over with in terms of uh, what's actually going to happen, given what two months from now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I just feel like the the gaps that exist in our culture because of poverty. So yeah. you know the. The distance that exists because of poverty between one kid and another are only going to be amplified if we don't go back to school, because the the kids who are living in um, in in places in the country and in realities in their own family life where they don't have reliable access to the internet, they don't have the equipment that they need, and they don't have somebody helping them. Um, those kids are just going to fall further and further and further behind. The gap between those who have and, and who have not is going to include. Um, you know, even a more amplified conversation about educational access. So, all right, well, that's uh, on my list of concerns today as a, as a parent who absolutely doesn't know how she would manage if, uh, if we don't go back to school. So <laughs> it's, all, it's, it's ultimately all about me, Mark. I mean, I just, you know, just <laughs> confess that. All right. Hey, thanks, man, as always, um, for joining me this morning. It is always a delight. That's Mark Caleb Smith. You can find him at Cedarville University, and you can find him on all the socials. Thanks, man. Thanks, Carmen. Take care. We'll be right back. Joining me uh, next will be Paul Lee, president of the Fellowship of Christian Peace Officers. We're going to talk about uh, the difference between the word police and the reality of what a peace officer does. We're also going to talk about who Christ is in the midst of all of this. How are Christian officers uh, facing the heat that is being applied to all of our police officers today? So next up, Paul Lee, president of the Fellowship of Christian Peace Officers. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. So what are you doing uh, the rest of the summer? What are you doing here in the month of July? Are you reading the scripture? How are you on track for your Bible reading plan? This is a great time to get back on track. This is the last day of Q2, which means Q3 starts tomorrow. Uh, If you sort of suspended your Bible reading plan somewhere along the way, go ahead and pick that back up. We're always giving Bibles away, so if you want to enter the drawing for the Bible we're currently giving away, you can log on to MyFaithRadio.com, and you can uh, and you can jump in on that. You can also still jump in on the Fully Alive online study with my precious colleague, Susie Larson. It's a 10-week online Bible study, and it starts tomorrow, which means that today is the day. So, uh, well, actually, I think it starts... I think it actually starts in like six days. So, all right, it starts July 6th. So, but uh, that means you have just a few days to sign up. So go ahead and sign up today. Sign up at MyFaithRadio.com. Jump in on the Fully Alive online study that starts July the 6th. You can also, while you're there, go ahead and download the Faith Radio app so that you are prepared to grab a podcast for a program that you miss or share the show with someone else. All right, again, up next, I got Paul Lee, president of the Fellowship of Christian Peace Officers. We'll be right back. Parents always want to know, is it really possible to have a meaningful two-way conversation with my team? Well, I'm here to tell you, yes, it is. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. 
Conversation naturally occurs when two people are having fun together. Our counselors at Heartlight will often shoot pool, go for a walk, or play video games with their kids during counseling sessions. And they found that these are the moments when kids really open up. So find a time when you and your team can have some fun together, even if it means learning a few new tricks, like airsofting, photography, or video games. Then zip your lips and wait to see what happens next. Do you have teenagers under your roof? There's more from Mark Gregston on the Parenting Today's Teens website. Get helpful tips for moms and dads when you visit ParentingTodaysTeens.org or search for Parenting Today's Teens in your favorite app store. He is the president of the Fellowship of Christian Peace Officers. I want you to check it out at fcpo.org. Paul, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Well, good morning, Carmen. How are you? Good morning. Well, I am, it is well with my soul because I am in Christ and I run to God to be my shelter in all things. So I'm good, man. How about you? Good. Same here. That's the only place to run to. Yeah, and so I think that the the reality is that we do live in a world, and and you know if we believe what the Bible says about the future, we're always going to live in a world where there is going to be danger, where sin will persist, where people will do naughty things, um, and where we will need people who who God uses in the culture to not only protect us and help us be safe, but um, but who ensure that the most vulnerable. Um, have a shield, have, you know, have someone that's bigger and stronger and standing between them uh, and the ones who would seek to do them harm. I feel like when you describe uh, law enforcement nationwide, when you talk about Christians entering into law enforcement, when you talk about the Christian mindset in peace officers, um, I feel like you're leaning into that reality. Absolutely. And what people don't realize uh, and sometimes even Christian officers don't pick up on it unless somebody sits down and really disciples them and shows them. Police work, uh, being police officers, is really, I think, one of the greatest mission fields in the entire world. I mean, there's there's no other mission field in the world where somebody can pick up the phone, dial 911, and have somebody dispatched to minister to them at the worst time of their lives, other than law enforcement. And, you know, we, we see TV, we see what's on the media, we, you know, uh, it's always, you know, violence and running and gunning and car chases. And that's such a small part of what police officers do. Most of the time, they're just dealing with hurting, broken, miserable people. That's who we deal with the most. So I'm on the website right now um, for the Fellowship of Christian Peace Officers. You guys should check it out, fcpo.org. Um, and I'm seeing here, um, Paul, that you know there's Bible study, there's marriage enrichment, there's discipleship training, there's fellowship, service, and outreach. And when I scroll down, one of the things that I note is that right now, I mean literally right now in Henry County, which is Newcastle, Indiana, there's a chapter meeting. Um, tell us um, sort of, you know, how you guys are organized, how people can get involved, um, and then what would be happening at a chapter meeting right now in Henry County, Newcastle, Indiana? Well, sure. Uh, 
to get involved is just simply you go to the website and and you can send us a, an email and and we'll help you get involved. You can become a member. If you're not a police officer, you can become an associate member. Hmm. And people, say, what what are, what's the responsibility of an associate member? And that's to pray, you know, to go to the foot of the cross for these guys because a lot of times they're on the job, they're not having a whole lot of time to pray. So they need somebody praying for them. Uh, we do develop chapters. We're a national ministry. Uh, we go all over the United States. We have 255 chapters across the country. Uh, right now in Henry County, they're probably starting with prayer and a little fellowship, and they'll have a Bible study of some sort that they'll be doing. And uh, uh, we encourage that meeting together. And we also encourage one-on-one discipleship. Because in our, our our line of work, we operate 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So when you have a chapter meeting, everybody can't be there. But we have to be able to feed into each other. We've got to hold each other accountable. You know, if we don't, we end up trying to do this job of law enforcement in our own strength. And, and I can tell you from personal experience, that will not work. Okay, I just... um. I just already love this effort. Again, we're talking with Paul Lee. He's the president of the Fellowship of Christian Peace Officers. I want you guys to check out the website, fcpo.org. If you're listening right now and you're thinking to yourself, I'm not, uh, I'm not a police officer, um, and I, but, I, but I own a company that could be supportive of this effort. Um, they've got partners listed on their website. Check that out. I bet that you could get involved as a partner if you, um, if you wanted to be you know, directly engaged in the support of this effort. People do want, you know, Paul, people do want tangible ways to um, to support the good cops. And I recognize that, you know, like every profession, um, every professional in the profession wants the profession to not only be represented well, but for, you know, the culture to be, you know, blessed and edified by their presence. And so the reality that there are um, individuals who find themselves in uniform, and then we all see them doing things that no one is proud of. I'm wondering how um, how you guys are talking about that, um, you know, sort of out of our company. How, how What do those conversations look like, and how can we support, I mean, I don't even know if it's reform, but how can we support our most local expression of law enforcement? How can we support them in advancing the good? You know, I get asked that question all the time, and, you know, it's not an easy question to answer because uh, when I was on the job, and I've been retired for 15 years, everything that's going on right now, I experienced at one time or another, you know, whether it was uh, uh, media scrutiny or political scrutiny or uh, community, you know, with with guys that I was working with or working uh, around, you know, and I mean, it, it came at different times, but what's happened right now, everything is hitting at once. You know, we've got, uh, we've got guys out there now that uh, uh, they, they don't know who in the world is, is out there supporting them. You know, when you've got uh, politicians uh, that will, in the DA's office, that actually indict law enforcement officers before an investigation is complete, you know, they feel like their their supervisors have turned against them and their own government's turned against them. The people don't want anything to do with them. They're afraid to go into a restaurant and even order a meal. And uh, when somebody comes up to them and, and sticks out their hand, you know, to 
you know, to be kind to them, they're leery. They're, they're leery of it. So just to tell your listeners, you know, even if you go up to be kind to a police officer, understand they may look at you a little bit different just because they don't know who to trust anymore at all. Uh, you know, your listeners, the prayer is the most important thing. You know, I, uh, it sounds cliche, but it's not. You know it and I know it. It's the most powerful thing. Uh, you know, just praying for these guys out here. And if you see them out, you know, especially if you visit restaurants on, on a regular basis and you see guys, you can get to know them. You know, just, just they'll, they'll be your friend. They want a friend. But we have to remember, too, that we live in a lost and fallen society. And a lot of times, you know, we expect lost people to act like Christians, and they're not mm. going to. And the sad thing about it is not every police officer is a Christian. They're just as lost as the rest of the world. So when you see a lot of things and you see a lot of behavior, you're seeing lost behavior a lot of times with lost other lost behavior. We're, we as Christians are just watching a fallen world at work. All right. Um, on that sobering note, Paul Lee and I are going to take a very brief break. He's the president of the Fellowship of Christian Peace Officers. You can find it at fcpo.org. When we come back, we're going to talk about um, Christians in law enforcement, and we are, um, we're just going to talk about the challenges that they face and how uh, the Fellowship of Christian Peace Officers helps them answer those day-in and day-out challenges. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. Continuing my conversation with Paul Lee, he's the president of the Fellowship of Christian Peace Officers. Paul, I want to bring um, I want to bring one officer sort of into view um, as a you know as a to pers- to make it personal. So um, you have a, a sworn officer with the Seattle Police Department on your board. Um, in 2014, he was recognized as the Officer of the Year. Um, He, you know, he's out there, he's on patrol, he runs community outreach programs um, in his community, Um, he's a training officer and um, and a peer support coordinator. He is the one who started and serves as the chairman of his local FCPO chapter there in Seattle. I, I am wondering today about him, because from all media reports, Seattle looks like a raging mess. And so talk with me about this individual officer and talk with me um, about about what he's facing, not only on the streets, but the stress on his family and how this ministry, the Fellowship of Christian Peace Officers, comes alongside, you know, officers like this. Well, I know exactly who you're talking about, and he is a, a wonderful young man. Uh, and he he actually won that officer of the year because on his own he and his partner went out and purchased a bed for a teenage girl in poverty who didn't have one so that uh, because she was letting her siblings sleep in the bed and uh, the person they they purchased the bed from uh, realized what they were doing and he told the chief was bragging on them and that's that's how he got officer of the year and that is now a program in the Seattle PD that they provide 
hundreds of beds for for children that, that uh, are in poverty every single year. And uh, you don't hear that about the Seattle PD either, but that's one of their programs because of this young man right here. Uh, he's going through everything uh, every other police officer is going through. His wife and family I know well, and I know that they sit at home and, and they pray and they worry and they pray and they worry and they don't want to worry, but it's hard not to worry when you're fed this daily diet you know, of anxiety and fear you know, from every media outlet. Uh, he and his other Christian brothers and sisters will come together and they will pray and they will strengthen each other. And you've got to have that. You know, like I said at the beginning, otherwise you're just trying to operate in your own strength. And, and people are, you're just not strong enough to do this job, I don't think, in your own strength. I wasn't. Mm -hmm. and, uh, uh, but that's, that's where their family is right now. And I'm not sure what assignment he's on right now. We've, we've played phone tag. I've, he knows that we're praying for him, the, the rest of the board. But uh, he's a little bit busy, so we're having a hard time getting in touch with him. But uh, his, right. fam his fam I'm sorry, his family no. is, is going through, you know, every, every emotion that every cop family out there will go through. So I just want to invite our listeners just to pray specifically. I'm just going to give his first name. His name's Jeremy. So let's just be praying today for Jeremy and for his wife and for their kids. Um, let's also be praying for um, this Fellowship of Christian Peace Officers chapter in Seattle um, and and others like them across the country. So I know that there are listeners right now in the Twin Cities who are wondering, hey, what about us? Do we have a um, do we have a chapter of Fellowship uh, of Christian Peace Officers? And the answer is no. The um, the the Minneapolis um, chapter um, needs needs an advocate. It needs somebody that would step forward right now um, who would say, you know what, we need one of these where we live. Um, clearly, in you know, in a time when um, when communities are having conversations about an utter reformation of the way they're going to police their streets, they may not call it policing, but it's still going to be some form of law enforcement. Um, and Christians need to not only be engaged in that, but supportive of one another in the midst of it. So just want to encourage you, if you're listening right now and you've been um, you've been inspired by this and you'd like to see a chapter of the Fellowship of Christian Peace Officers in your community, really want to encourage you to reach out to Paul at fcpo.org. Talk with us about policing reform um, and maybe what Christians bring to the conversation that folks are not currently you know, thinking about or aware of. Well, and, and to start that, uh, Carmen, policing reform and police reform are, are really kind of two different things. We're talking about policing reform, and we're, we're talking about, you know, the training and the education and things like that. And if we talk about police, like police officer reform, that's, that's a whole different animal. Uh, but what we, we would bring to the table with the Fellowship of Christian Peace Officers is that sense of uh, compassion. And, and I'll tell you right now, when I started in police work oh, over 40 years ago, we sat in the academy and we sat in a circle and the psychologist wanted to know why we wanted to be police officers. And every one of us had some cheesy answer of because we wanted to help people, but that's exactly why all of us were there. And it didn't take long once we hit the street that... Uh, that thought was gone because we were seeing things that we were never prepared to see. 
and we saw a world that we didn't even know existed, even though we thought we knew it existed. We saw what people were doing to each other, one human being on another, and the next thing you know, our compassion is gone, and we start becoming hard because we don't know how to control the compassion and still work on the streets at the same time. But as a believer, the Bible tells us how to do that, and, and Christ sets the example for us in how to do that. And you don't lose your compassion because you start looking at people through the eyes of Jesus. You know, he, had, he looked out on the multitude and he had compassion on them. They were lost. They were wandering like sheep without a shepherd. And when I look out there today, that's exactly what I see. And I don't see a shepherd rising up anywhere in our country right now to lead the sheep. So for me, this is a prime opportunity for law enforcement to step up, for Christian law enforcement to step up and uh, gain a position at the table. Because if we're not using biblical truths, Carmen, to operate by every day, we've got to ask ourselves, whose truth are we using? I mean, are we using the media's truth or a misguided politician or, you know, just public opinion? You know, I've seen what, you know, listening to the mob will do. I mean, there's there's all sorts of scripture about that when the mob rules or where you're pandering to, you know, to the likes of man instead of the, the, the likes of God. And I mean, you know, you look at Jesus, he did absolutely nothing but good. He raised Lazarus from the dead. He rode into Jerusalem on a donkey as humble as he could. People loved him. They praised him. They they shouted, they had dinner, went to pray, and all of a sudden somebody in his crew had betrayed him mm -hmm. because he didn't like the way he was handling things. And overnight, everything changed, and public opinion changed of Jesus Christ. And because of public opinion, he was wrongly arrested, he was wrongly accused, he wasn't convicted, but because of public opinion, the politicians said, well, go ahead and crucify him. Mm -hmm. and that's what happens when, when public opinion gets involved and we're operating in our own strength. Yeah, much. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think everybody's making the uh, mental jump in their mind. So, Paul, thank you for that analogy. Paul Lee is the president of the Fellowship of Christian Peace Officers. You can find him. You can find what they're up to. You can get involved at fcpo.org. Paul, thank you so much for joining us. All right, friends, we got to take a very brief break here at the bottom of the hour, and then we got another hour of Mornings with Carmen up next. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.